Hello, welcome to Question Block. It's a podcast with me, Dr. Wires, or Alex, and... Aerialist. I did want to say we got a new sponsor. This podcast is now sponsored by Silo Brooklyn, which is a new performing arts venue that's opening up in Brooklyn this summer. <gasps> wow. So a shout out to Silo. Thanks for sponsoring our podcast. Thanks, Silo. And They're a terrarium, actually. I hear. I hear. They have some very fine horticulture. The flora and fauna there can't be beat. But I can't wait to see it this summer. This week, we're going to talk about flowers. Not to be confused with plants. Square rectangle. You know, it's a flowers are plants. I mean, we did Most a really great episode on house plants and gardening. Yeah, our famous, our famous horticulture house plant episode. Yes. This is about... This is about when sex. flowers de- <laughs> decide <laughs> to be flamboyant. This is the sex episode about plants, flowers. Plants decide to be flamboyant. Yeah, it's funny they say the birds and the bees because it really should be. It's about really the bees and the flowers, or the flowers and the flowers. Or if the you flowers kinky, flowers. if you nasty, or the flowers in the wind, <laughs> the flowers in various grazing mammals, <laughs> like flowers in everything. I'm just thinking about how you would even describe it. Well, it's Yannick. As we'll get into it, though, no, like the, the terminology, it's funny that all the terminology for flower sex is like the male, the female, the ovary, whatever. And you're like, these are like alien creatures, basically, that we just gave like human terms to like their anatomy. But if you try to think about a flower's relationship in terms of like a couple in the real world, they are, they're <laughs> non, I was like, they're poly sex. <laughs> They're polysex or polyamorous. It's like this. Well, because like even different flowers on the same plant can can have sex. Yeah, like this flower can only get off if like it has to like jerk off onto water, and then the water <laughs> carries the sperm down to another flower. Yeah, yeah. L- let's explain. Oh, and just you know, in case you're not into that, in case that's not your, in case that's not making you bloom, mm-hmm. we're also going to talk about how to keep your cut flowers fresh for longer. The history of some of your favorite flowers. Yeah, there's some really like interesting tips and also how to plan out your garden so that you can have colorful blooms year round. Let's get into it then. We're going to start with, with science, with the science, with our definitions. What is a flower? Also known as a bloom or blossom. It's the reproductive structure found in flowering plants and flowering plants the scientific name for them is Angie. <laughs> Angiosperms. Miss Angie. Miss Angiosperm. Yeah, the biological function of a flower, it's pretty to look at, but it's to facilitate reproduction. And it's some way of a flower unioning. And again, we're going to get into like very mammalian human terms, but it's sperm and egg of a flower. Uh, and so flowers can allow both, like they can self pollinate with the flower can can go fuck itself and self-pollinate or a flower can cross-pollinate and find a partner. But a lot of flowers have mechanisms that don't allow them to self-pollinate yes. with them with their own. I'll get into it. I'll talk okay. about it. I know I got some examples of those mechanisms. They get very mm-hmm. close. So they, yeah, they're a chastity belt for themselves. So that they can't. <laughs> <laughs> Going a little deeper into our terms, angiosperm, or flowering plants, they it comes from the Greek words uh, angeion, which is container or vessel, and sperma, which is seed. Oh, cum bucket. Okay. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so it's plants that produce their seeds enclosed within a fruit. So any fruiting plant is an angiosperm. And a fruit 
I know we're talking about flowers, but a oh fruit God. really don't is get, the... Don't go down the fruit road. We're not going to get all the way into the whole berry blastocyst type thing. Uh, fruit is just like the protective thing around the yeah. seed. Fun fun fact, if it doesn't have that, it's called a gymnosperm. Because, and that comes from naked seed because like the word for gym, gymnasium is like naked. It's naked, yeah. as we talked about on like so the Olympics like, episode. I think a pine thing is, is pine a cone, naked. coniferous trees. Yeah, that's a naked seed. Yeah, ginkgos. Anyway, those are gymnosperms. And they yeah, they got their seeds just, they're just their seeds just are just out. out just out. <laughs> just, out. just wild and out. Um, and so those, the seeds are also called, when they're unfertilized, they're called ovules. Whereas the flowering plants, they like lock that up. They enclose the seeds in an ovary. So yeah. I guess they're the equivalent of like an egg for in a mammal or whatever like yeah uh okay so that's that's your like basic terms for the flowering versus not flowering i'm going to tell you the parts of a flower and there's some great vocabulary here which i would like to adopt into daily usage okay so a flower right it's symmetrical we have one right here oh yeah pull it out you can we can go through okay for the for the viewers. <laughs> For those viewing on Twitch, you can show them the parts. Oh, this is great. This is a pretty accurate flower, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's okay. the only kind so of... So notice how each part of the flower, as you go up, it's actually like a ring. Don't pull on it. <laughs> Come on, take it easy. Jeez. <laughs> okay, just hold it gently by the stem. Ah. <laughs> ah. Peeling, its, peeling its petals back. Um so notice each part of it is kind of like a ring, right? Like that's a ring. Those petals form a ring. The interior forms like a ring. That's called a whorl. Okay. W-H-O-R-L. Mm-hmm. So you can like rock your whorl. Uh, yeah, so the parts of the flower, there's four main parts and they're arranged in whorls like or rings kind of going up along the flower. So the... The outer two parts are not sexy parts. They're just sort of protective. And then the inner two parts are where the sex happens. Okay. So the outer two parts, the outermost part is the calyx. That would be these little green guys. Oh, it's like you. Under, yeah. <laughs> or the, the pit crew guy or from... Uh, oh, yeah. There's a guy from... named Calyx on Roof Falls Drive. Yeah. So the calyx consists of leaf-like structures at the base of the flower that protect the flower during development. It's like the green around the bud when the flower's first budding oh, that then yeah. comes out. Remember the, oh, the, we had the Christmas cactus, the Valentine's cactus, and it mm. had those first, and it was so exciting because I was like, I know what's going to come yeah. out. You're getting psyched about the calyx. Yeah. Uh, so they're individually, those individual leaves are called sepals and they're often there, there's actually like a one-to-one between the sepals and the petals. This flower you're holding here has more petals than sepals, but it's okay. And that, the, the petals, there's also the, the mono and the dia, right? So the, the mono and dia, uh, that refers to just two types of like further breaking up the like tree of plants we'll talk about that in a okay. minute let me get through the flower parts so that's the calyx next part is called the corolla mm. the toyota corolla the corolla is the petals yeah they're thin soft and they have cool colors to attract animals that help the process of pollination that's why petals look so cool that's what flowers are really famous for the petals okay so those are the non-reproductive parts and then we get to the reproductive parts so there's the next there's now two worlds i think your flower really kind of has them mixed in together. I guess there's like little petals there, but yeah, pretend there's two distinct parts there. The outer one is called the androecium. And in Greek, it's androsoikia, which means man's house. 
<laughs> which you know you can you can guess it's a uh, it's it consists of stamens, and the stamen is sort of a stalk called a filament these, topped these by guys. an anther, and that produces the pollen. Oh, here, yeah, the pollen's on this. Look. Yeah, so those are your those little pollens are coming from the. Oh, you can see them in lilies. Like think of like the 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 pink and white lilies with the, right? No, lilies like a really weird exception. Oh, it, to that this doesn't. Role. I'll okay. tell you in a minute. All right. So okay, and then the last part, the innermost part, that innermost little bud, is called the the gynoceum from Greek, gynaikosoika, woman's house. It's the innermost whorl, mm. and it consists of one more units called carpels. And the carpel or multiple fused carpels form a hollow structure, which is called an ovary, which produces ovules internally. And there's a bunch more technical terms, but they're the female part of the flower. And they give rise to what are called egg cells, even though they're not eggs because this is a flower. But oh, so like these are the parts that are fertilized by the pollen. Maybe a better like a sunflower. That's a, maybe a way to think. Think of, of it, the yeah. black, the black things, the mm-hmm. black things that will come off. That's the pollen. That's the pollen and the little thing. The little like stamens are like short on that, and you can kind of dust them off. And then under that is sunflower seeds. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which would yeah. be the which is the, the ovaries egg. that have the seeds. Which your eggs. The egg. Nice example. It's very obvious. The sunflower is mm. like that. That house is like um more of a screened-in porch. <laughs> Yeah. So that, what I just described is sort of your very typical flower, but flowers come in all varieties and kinds. It's like if there were humans, some of whom just had like a penis on your hand or like your vagina was on your leg. Like flowers are out there. They're like mixing it up. And there's no shame in that. That's what they're about. So the lily, you were talking about the Kayla lily. Yeah. Um, That's actually not a single flower. It is that giant stalk that you see is an inflorescence of tiny flowers that are all pressed together on a central stalk, and it's surrounded by a petal-like thing called a bract. But actually, that stalk has like hundreds or thousands of tiny flowers on it. No, I was thinking what the kale is a huge lily with so the, the one petals giant aren't petal the flower. But that's oh my god, my brain. That's very cool. Yeah. But that's a that is a it's a weird plant that actually has tons of tiny flowers and the stalk is actually like because I was thinking those yeah. the, when the the pollen it's like those the the brown stuff gets you're like oh it smells so good and then the little the there are yeah the, I mean there are I I know who you're thinking of but yeah that particular example of the lily is like a very weird but the little brown thingies that's like part of, of millions of flowers that's what I was gonna say that's like a very obvious like there's the steam and there's the pollen. Oh, I'm not thinking of that kind, like the the pink and white. You're not talking about the Zandes- the, not the Zandesia. No, the, those ones have like a little corn inside. It looks like one little corn, and that's what you're talking about. No, that I'm talking about that thing. Actually, has like tons of flowers on it. I'll, I'll okay, you're it. talking about a different kind of lily. Yeah. All right. My my kind would have worked, but I came up with a sunflower. Your example is probably accurate. Yes, so. it, it, I think it was. Okay, so so um, breaking down the so that's that's like an example of variation. And then the way the flowers are used, uh, you were talking about their self-pollination and cross-pollination. Uh, and there's two kinds of cross-pollination. So there's what's called star. biotic pollination of oh, the star lily. The stargazer, yeah. Stargazer. That has a... It has obvious stamens and an obvi- obvious... Gynum. Gyno- <laughs> gynoseum. 
Yeah. Gynoecium. So if you, yeah, because look at this. It's like stamen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then gynoecium. All right. Okay. Nice. Uh, okay, so the the flowers, the biotic pollination. So they're they're taking advantage. They're getting the bees to come around. Yeah, getting getting various animals to like brush against the flowers and then spread the pollen around. So eighty percent of flowers use biotic pollination, which makes sense because you don't like just evolutionarily you don't need a big like attractive pretty flower if you're just going to like use the wind to pollinate Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that a lot of tropical flowers or flowers in rainforests need to attract attention that are very brightly colored a lot of flowers that people like to collect um are going to use biotic pollination because they they've developed to be attractive to animals and people which actually helps them which i will talk about these flowers a little bit later but orchids there's a really great article by michael pollan who wrote the omnivore's dilemma right yes and he basically was saying that orchids are so freaky, they really shouldn't have survived and like be so prolific. But it's really that they were attractive to humans, and that's really what helped them to spread the most nice. across like continents like and whatnot. Dogs. Exactly. So yeah, some yeah. of the names which I like for flowers and how they pollinate. The ones that use insects are called entomophily. The ones that use birds. Avia, avia, aviophily. Ornithophily. Oh, or, right. Bats. Guan, guanophily. Chi- chiropterophily. Uh, there's, there's flowers that pollinate using lizards, and there's flowers that pollinate using snails and slugs. And the slugs are... Slugs. Malacophile. And then, like you were talking about, the there are plants... Well, cross-pollination and self-pollination... There's two different schools of thought. They're both fine. Self-pollination is safer because <laughs> the plant knows it's going to be able to pollinate because the like male and female organs are right there, but it gets less genetic diversity because it's just cloning itself when it self-pollinates. It takes less energy too. It doesn't have to produce pollen. They can travel a long distance. A lot of self-pollinators will actually pollinate before the flower even opens, before it's even open for business. It's already got a ring on it. If- <laughs> Well, you can't win a challenge if you're always safe. Yeah. So it is true. And there's less genetic diversity, um, you know, as compared to the the cross-pollinators are out there taking risks. They're hoping a bee will come along to spread around or they're just throwing their seeds into the wind like a dandelion. Mm -hmm. They're putting it out there. And they get more genetic diversity, which probably is overall better for the species Cross-pollinating plants, like you said, they'll have mechanisms to prevent self-pollination In their because they own... want to make sure. And some of the flowers will even have, like, as a backup, they'll self-pollinate, but no, first they'll themselves. try to cross-pollinate. It's Can like... you imagine it? So it does it by accident and then it just dies. <laughs> no, it doesn't. They don't it go aborts. that far. I was. That would be the best cut flower. You wouldn't even need to cut the flowers. The you way just... they'll do it, this isn't that complicated. They will just. The the uh, male and female like parts of the the sexual parts, the androecium and the gynoecium will flower at different times, or different entirely different branches will just be a male branch and a female branch, like separate restrooms. Yeah, exactly. Separate. Well, like a mosque where you the women pray on oh. one side and the men pray on a different side, so that they're not tempted. Um, or yeah, or they'll just cover like. During a given season, like early spring, it's like men, 
the men's time men's time <laughs> men's then, fashion week or i guess early spring would be like ladies night and the, there's like a covering or a sheath over like the men's stuff and then like once the ladies are pollinated or whatever then like the men can come it's out like it's your turn whatever. yeah they figure it out the they they care they care they're very about the the sexual purity in those plants and, and then the blooms they fall off right because we're talking about the life cycle right so after their uh, their um germination period the blooms just like fall off yeah and you were saying earlier you were like i didn't realize how short-lived flowers are like all flowers i mean because i daffodils for example in new york they're everywhere and then they're they're nowhere so I knew that those were really short-lived, but I'm like, oh, yeah. Or the cherry blossoms, Cherry right? blossoms. Cherry blossoms, you get, like, three weeks, mm -hmm. you know? And then you, we, there's, like, all these tricks to get your succulents to Jeez, we got to get up to the reservoir. Yeah. We, go. we got to go. Got to go this before might be they... the last week to see them. Yeah. Roses, actually, they're really hardy. They, you, I've seen a rose in, like, January, and where they're like, what's up? No, but they're they're pretty hardy. They can withstand a lot of like things, and they'll also if you deadhead them. What's deadheading a rose? You, you or any flower. You after they bloom, if you kind of like take the bloom off, it'll they're like oh no, they, and they'll like do another one for you sometimes. <laughs> like, like oh no, my show ended before I collected yeah. my tips. I have to put it back on again. It messed up my costume. Oh, my costume messed, messed up. up. I'm starting over. I want you all to see. And then you wanted to talk about monocots and dicots. I mean, not, you know, it's just, I think it's cool that the flowers are obsessive compulsive because they're like, okay, some of us grow in five petals construction and some have three and it has to match with like the shape of my root. Monocot and dicot, it's a general term for plants, right? This is, I guess it's like orthogonal to angiosperm versus gynosperm is monocot and dicot is related to how the plant sprouts and its root system. So monocot starts with a single leaf. Yes. And it has lots of fibrous roots. That's true. And yeah, this is true. Yeah, 80, in agri when you think of agricultural products, you're thinking of monocots, which includes grains like rice, wheat, and corn, uh, and also like grass and sugarcane and bamboo. Those are all monocots. And also lily, tulip, orchid, daffodil, Crocus. Yeah. But the they, most famous dicot. Like, is... They're kind of like corn tuberous looking vibes too, if you think of the way those are. They're like kind of like I think of them as like a watery a watery tuberous plant. Well it's just the monocot is, is one leaf, lots of roots. Yeah. They got a fibrous little little root system. Dicots. The rose, the daisy. Mm-hmm. And they put out just like a the single begonia. Of, they put out the tap root. One, one fat root that They're branches. Like, <laughs> yeah. One straw. <laughs> okay. So that's all your that's all your terms. Okay. Do you want to turn to the history now? Yes. Who, when did they Who even invented the flower? Dinosaurs. <laughs> the... Well, what came first though? The the bee or the flower? Right? Cause like the flower did. The flower, true. I think that lilies are like some of the oldest flowers. The flowers don't if you recall from our dinosaur episode, flowers show up in the like late Cretaceous. Yep. Um, and so, if you remember, Cretaceous is our first like period cool, of period. of awesome the uh, 
Yeah, the the Mesozoic era was uh, Cretaceous, Jurassic, Triassic. Right. And Cretaceous was pre, kind of pre-dinosaur. There's a lot of like large amphibians running around and crocodilian crocodilian creatures. No, Cretaceous is the last one. Trust, because we called that episode Cretaceous yeah. Park. Take that, flip it. <laughs> Put that thing down, it, flip it, and reverse flip it. Flip it and reverse it. <laughs> Triassic first. A lot of crocodilians. Yeah. Cretaceous, Cretaceous is the coolest one where all the cool stuff happened, and that's why cool. flowers. And that's when T Rex is running around. Okay, so the flowers started way before then. So the they yeah the the first like the ancestors of the first flowering plants are called the amborellas and through some like very careful uh excavations uh and fossil record and genetic tracking uh they believe the first flowering plant has has the same like genome or ancestor as the amborellas and the amborellas are currently today you can only find them in New Caledonia which is uh, an island chain a couple hundred miles east of Australia. So it's like way out there. I see you just pulled up a Google search. It says 70 million. I have the Amborellas dated to 200 yes. million years ago. So this is, okay, this is like big what happened. There's, it's a huge like mystery of science that there's a gap in the fossil record because the the first, like it would make sense for yours to be true, but there's no like record of it. But the first like fossil record, it's called the Jurassic Angiosperm Gap. Oh, so the paleontologists are arguing because there's no flowers found during the Jurassic era. Right. But they're like, but there but there should have been. But there been. clearly are some back from the Triassic, and there's they know there's a bunch from Cretaceous forward. Yes. So right, and and like the I bet they're digging around in New Caledonia trying to find angiosperms yeah, from, like, from like 150 million years ago. Right, like, so it's where? the molecular clock studies they've suggested an earlier origin for angiosperms in the Jurassic or potentially in the Triassic, but they they have no sampling for that or like no fossil record. When so, is that uh, website dated? Uh, no, this is like recent. This is like a, a recent. This is, they. it's still a mystery. It'd still be a mystery. Okay, I got yeah. my my stats or whatever is logarithmic history website, and that guy is a like a paleontologist. Yeah, and so probably I think he he linked to a paper where he like for his citation for the well, the people are trying to explain why there's that gap because they agree with this guy, mm. but they're trying to explain it because they're like, well, yeah, there were like beetles and stuff at your time yeah. at that time. You know what the so problem there probably been. was? What? There were no florists. True. Oh, true. So the the thing that people they uh they they just sort of accept is that probably the structures of the the flowers and the fruits they were like so tiny that they can't find them. <laughs> that's what we're that's hmm. what we're chalking it up to these these days. They'll find them. You give them enough time, they'll find them. And then I was going to tell you as we get into florists and human cultivation of flowers, mm -hmm. where I'm going to hand it over to you. Floriography. Floriography. Real quick, before you take off with the florist, I'm going to tell you about the people who developed the first flower pots. Ooh, yes. Which is a very important development in flower arrangement history. Uh, so they are called the Joman people. I guess a prehistory kind oh. of people, pre-written history people who lived, in, no, they're Japanese. Okay. Lived on Japanese islands dating to 1400 BC. And they were... 
they probably had the first pottery on Earth. Although I think pottery was like independently discovered in a bunch of different places. But their pottery is the oldest. It has a very cool pattern. They didn't uh they didn't have pottery wheels, so they made it I don't know if you ever made a pot a pot like this in oh, summer the pinch camp. Pot? No, you could do a pinch pot, but theirs were big. They're these big vessels oh. that hold like a bunch of like put actual dirt in it. But like it was like a if you lay a little you make a long snake out of clay and you can lay it in like a oh, ring. Oh, those those ones. So yeah, it's called yeah, like yeah. a rope pattern. So the Hamon or Homan, sorry, Jomon. Jomon means straw rope pattern. That's it. That's pretty much that's pretty much all I got on these people. The Jomon invented the flower pot. And with that, tell me about, you know, flowers and humans. So the Floral designs, of course, it goes back to uh, Egypt. Of course, as does everything. Yeah, Egypt were beer. into like gar Egyptians were into garlands. You know, like can you imagine the hieroglyphics and there's like a little like border? Nice they probably had floral decorations around. Man, they must have thrown so many flowers in the like in the tombs as well. Maybe, yeah. And then they just decayed, probably, or the grave robbers took them. They liked simple and repeating patterns so like garlands and things like that then in greece they were into the fragrance they liked hyacinth honeysuckle roses lilies tulips and marigolds olive branches oh yeah the laurel well like the laurel crown <laughs> right yeah when the greeks were like you know actively cultivating and farming and had produce and all that stuff yeah, and they were using flowers for medicines too. I can't remember if they had like figured out that like willow extract, like which is now used in Tylenol, basically is the same acetaminophen comes from willow bark extract. Bark, probably. Yeah, I mean, probably not a flower though. Yeah, not a but... flower. Not a flower. <laughs> we talking about flowers. <laughs> Romans started the tradition of putting roses on caskets. Sub Rosa. They also started the Sub Rosa, the Roman custom of hanging an all white wreath of roses from the ceiling to signify that everything said below will be kept secret. That's not a good way to keep a secret. We've <laughs> created a flower arrangement. To, it's like this um, show you the cone this of, of silence or whatever. In, yeah. in what is it, Doctor the Who? The cone of silence. Yeah, they're like the wreath of roses. <laughs> Why'd they pick roses? Probably because they grew there, they were hardy. There is a throw. I mean, honestly, roses are super hardy and they're kind of like a little bit of a throwaway flower. I feel like they're it's kind of like the diamonds. They're it's funny because really around, marked up. around Valentine's Day, they're going for like yeah, millions 10 to, of dollars. 10 to 20 yeah. bucks a rose. Yeah. So I, I will talk about that flower industry as well. So it is true. And you buy if you buy roses on and off. You know, if, if you like we were to go to the florist today and buy roses, you get like a, a dollar each. No big deal. So the in Byzantine times, they were super into like trees, but then they would take some of the, they would put flowers like that didn't grow on the tree, like in the trees. So like they were super extra with it, you know? Oh, wow. So like it's almost like a Christmas tree, but not <laughs> like a magnolia, you know, like a, a fig tree. And they're like, let's put some magnolia flowers on it. Putting flowers and fruits on a tree. <laughs> yeah. They're like we'll dress it up, make it look fancy. Nice. Just for fun, just for kicks, you have a fancy tree. Oh, and can you guess the Middle Ages where everything always gets shittier? <laughs> can you guess Wait, what? Wait, the Christians... The, uh, yeah. 
they banned flowers? No, it's no. just like the the only use of like floral stuff went to churches. Because uh, she may be watching this episode on Twitch. My mom, who uh, is like a licensed floral arranger. Yeah. Uh, a fun, you know, passion and hobby that she, she became a professional at. Um, like did it like a lot of her creations were for her Unitarian church when she lived in Portland. So interestingly enough, they had a great flower budget. She also likes Chinese like vases and pottery and stuff in the middle ages. They did use a lot of Chinese vases. They were, they were into that as well. And they also were really into like babies, like just little like floofy little sprigs of stuff. You gotta have your sprays. Yeah, yeah, any bouquet, you got to have a spray. You get your little baby's breath and stuff around to like zhuzh it up a little bit around the main flower. Yeah, it says the floral arts didn't die during the Middle Ages. More like went into hibernation, mm. <laughs> preparing itself for the cultural explosion that would be the Renaissance. Which yeah, the, I feel like that ages, always happens. The Dark it's, Ages it's probably like, does not have a lot of flower arranging going on, I suppose. Yeah, maybe they're like putting it in the plague masks and stuff like that. Oh, they did put herbs. They have good smelling in the, stuff in the, in like, there. the big, like the the bird beak of the plague masks. Yeah. Okay, so, so the Renaissance, Renaissance real, we went all out. I mean, now the painters gotta gotta be painting exactly, flowers Exactly the too. frescoes. The Christmas wreath was popularized. Then color schemes were popularized, um, and they just they went all out. They were just like the bacchanal of it all. Nice. The Baroque. 17th to 18th century. This is the Enlightenment. Marie Antoinette. But also Marie Antoinette, though, which is, as we know, like very, uh, very Y2K. Is it? <laughs> it is. Like the style. I mean, you had, it's actually very reminiscent of what's happening now. You have these like Byronic masculine groupings meeting in coffee houses. And then you have these like very sort of asexual, feminine. Your dandies, your, your hipster dandies, making bouquets, pinks and purples, and like dollhouse. Well, and there's so many things like that, like gorgeous, like paintings made during this time of floral arrangements. Yes, and then also, so we're getting to like Europe and Belgium, and then the Flemish, they got control of like floral design. Those Flemish painters. Yes. Yeah, a lot of the paintings of just like really pretty flowers. I think like peonies or like poppies, like the really like full blossomy ones. That's this this time, the really fluffy ones. Oh, the the Flemish like they went they like took it over the top because they would pair flowers. The bird's nest with other yes, they would put a bird's nest and eggs in the the floral arrangement. Can I tell you, can we do a quick aside now, since we're in the Baroque, Age of Enlightenment, Age of Commerce period, and tell you about tulip mania? Yes. Because that happened in the early 1600s. So tulip mania, it's the kind of the widely regarded as the first ever like commodities bubble and crash that happened. And tulip mania has so much in common with modern day Bitcoin and NFTs which is really oh, wow. great, particularly NFTs, I think is really great. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it occurred during this era, the, the whole like Baroque Flemish era is also known as the Dutch Golden Age because the Dutch, small little country, the Netherlands, had at the time like the world's greatest navy and 
pretty much invented the modern financial system, as we talked about in our finance episode with like shorting stocks and the Dutch East India Company and all of that. Another outcome of this is that like they came up with the world's first ever like commodities bubble and crash. So this happened in from 1634 to February 1637. Ooh, it's right a, around Valentine's houses. <laughs> yep, right, right after Valentine's Day, it crashed. It actually, the dates are important because of when tulips blossom. It's a, a key component of the story. Um, so the reason everybody knows about it is there's a very classic book written by this guy named McKay called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. He was a Scottish journalist, but he, I guess, heard about it and went and researched. So he wrote this book in uh, 1841, so 200 years after it happened, yes. this Scottish guy wrote up this book. Can I just say yeah. that he got a lot of his information also from hearsay, and he was trying to make a point. He was sort of like the the outliers dude or whatever, like the brain food dudes. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, he was like that. So we have to take or, this. Uh, la- not Laffer. Uh, I know. know the other guy you're, t- you're thinking yeah. about too. Yeah. We have to take this with a grain of salt or a gr- seed of grain. The Freakonomics guy. <laughs> yeah. So it's not kind Gladwell, of like. but another guy. Yeah, trying some, to make a point. Some people are like, but did, but really? Because he was like, it collapsed their economy. Like they were in shambles and we're like, yes. mm, maybe not. So Charles McKay wrote it and then everybody kind of believed him until the 1980s. And then some modern economists went back and tried to find the original sources or just whatever records they could find from the time. And as far as they could tell, uh, the the overall take on it now is it wasn't a big deal. But before I like burst the bubble of you getting mm-hmm. excited about this, I want to tell you what a big deal it was, according to McKay. Okay. And there really was a mania around it. So tulips got introduced to Europe. Um, they believe it's from this guy, I love this, Ogier. Auger de Busbeca. He's the ambassador of the Holy Roman Emperor to Turkey. Nice. And he picked up some tulip bulbs in Turkey. Uh, and around the same time in Europe, they introduced potatoes, peppers, tomatoes, and other vegetables. Europeans didn't have any of this in the late 1500s. So all this stuff comes in from the Ottoman Empire uh, in the like late 1500s through Vienna. And it turns out that tulips actually can grow pretty well in, like, the overall, like, not very, like, pretty crappy climate of, like, the Netherlands. So they catch on. And tulips are different from any flower they've ever seen before. So this is very important. That a tulip, the petals of the tulip the corolla, in the corolla, as we talked about, are saturated through with color. It's not just on the surface. It really looks different from anything they've ever seen before. And there's a specific, it's called a mosaic virus that tulips get that makes them grow slower. And they call it the breaking virus because it will break the color into two colors within a single petal. So they become striped, like this crimson tiger stripe. And they really are gorgeous. There's a bunch of Flemish paintings of these like... The broken tulips. Absolutely magnificent tulips. Yeah, and they call them broken tulips. And I think that's probably just a translation thing. They should have said striped but the color is broken into two parts. Look at um, that mime. His shirt is broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut his book. Uh, and so the tulips become a, a status oh, yeah. symbol because of the intense saturated color. Um, and then also like the Dutch are just getting like obscenely wealthy during this time. It's a small country. They've like 
basically like completely conquered uh transatlantic or and like to the like east indies like travel um so they're yielding i guess an east indies trade you could invest for a year and make 400 percent like profit so it's like a you know, it's like a Dogecoin, me- like a meme coin coming along every year and you're investing and getting like making They're investing tons of money. in the bulbs, though, not the pl- well, not the tulips. I'm just right? saying the Dutch have a bunch of money is like a key thing, okay. right? The Dutch have like more or less a stimulus. The Dutch have money coming in. Okay. Also, the bubonic plague is raging at this time during like the, the 1630s. So the Dutch have to kind of avoid like they're a lot of the markets like get closed because of plague outbreaks or like different like civic centers and they don't have the internet or remote work. So routinely like you can't go outside because like they'll quarantine entire cities when like the plague breaks out and it's kind of rampaging through Europe. It reminds you of a recent time, doesn't it? Where there was a plague and a bunch of people had extra money running around. It leads to a speculative bubble. They didn't have NFTs at the time to like okay. or everybody to YOLO. Talk like, about the trades. flowers. So they start trading futures on tulip bulbs bulbs. Which okay. that's what I was trying to say is that tulips actually, especially with this virus, they only it takes a regular tulip years maybe to open, so right? The tulip with the virus takes like seven years, I think. Like seven years up to like fifteen years for the bulb to finally flower. And then uh when a, a bulb sprouts, it gets what's called a replacement bulb, grows in its place, uh, and then it maybe has a couple other potential bulbs come. So you can only you can get like maybe like five to ten new bulbs off of one bulb every ten years or so. So it's they're incredibly slow gr- growing. There's like a very limited number of them. There's a scarcity mm-hmm. in these bulbs. Also, the way futures contracts were introduced in this market is that you would. In the off season, basically the bulb flowers in uh, like March, April, and then it goes dormant during the summer. And that's when like you could move the bulbs around without hurting them. And then you have to get the bulb planted by fall. And then people like during that time, then people would place all these contracts to buy the bulb when it flowered like the next March. Uh, they were buying the. I thought they were buying the bulb when it wasn't flowering because that's when you could hand it yeah, off. Yeah, so them. they would make. Uh, those are spot trades where I'm going to hand off to you. It's called a spot trade and give you the bulb for money. That's one thing. But where it really went insane is during this like winter of like uh, 1637, and it was all futures contracts. So the key with the futures contract is all I'm agreeing with you is that like I will buy this bulb at this price on this date so like you're like i've got a sick tulip bulb it's it's coming it's gonna it's in (laughs) march (laughs) in march it's gonna flower and i'm like okay i will i will pay you and the no one actually questions these stats which are like the equivalent of i think they said it was like 10 years worth of like a skilled laborer's Money, so let's say, you know, that's basically a million dollars if we were to, like, convert that to modern-day currency. Okay, so I want to buy the... You have a tulip bulb at Stripey, right? And then it goes dormant, and then you go to the auction house, and what, you have a painting of it, and you're like... Yeah, I I show you a painting of... of It's, like, the the previous owners and the bulb that I cloned it from, or whatever, the plant that I cloned it from. And uh, also... And then, wait, and then I bid on it, Right. I bid on this 
This idea. isn't even necessarily the auction. You, yeah, you just sign a contract with me, and you're like, okay, come March, I'm gonna pay you a million dollars. Okay, that and then bulb. do did I pay you or not? Well, let's take it back a little. You sign a contract with me. You're savvy. You're like, I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand. I'm like, that's great. And we sign the contract. You turn around and go to the coffee house. In the coffee house, you find someone who's like, well, I'll give you two hundred thousand for that futures contract. And you guys then sign a new contract. No money is changing hands uh-huh. at this time, right? You have not yet paid me for the bulb. You've agreed to pay when the bulb comes due. And so then that guy then turns around. The French have now gotten into the Dutch market. They're investing, and it becomes this whole bubble. And so then before you know it, that same contract that you bought for me at like a more reasonable value of 50000 is now trading at a million dollars. But like the housing bubble. a key thing and why it didn't take down the full market, like the housing market or whatever, is that the commodity is still a tool up. They think now historians believe it was just limited to a bunch of bored people in coffee yeah. houses YOLOing their stimmy checks or their like Dutch East India Company oh, checks. Everyone there seemed like Hans. So they're, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're like, it was everyone, but it was really just like two Hanses. <laughs> yeah. So it, it may not have, but it was like, I mean, great for a journalist to write about. Oh, the tool of bulbs, the tool of varieties had really great names, which is key also to like a good NFT or a Dogecoin. So they like they were named after like royal emperors. They had exalted titles for the tulip bulbs. So many were prefixed with Admiral. The Admiral. So the tulip? Admiral van der Ijek was like derived was like a, a famous tulip. Or they were named after Alexander the Great. Or I think the Okay, so let's so did did people ever No, so the market it built up and built up and then did they people ever even spend money on at it? At some time in early February, the market and the price crashed. They couldn't, nobody else would buy the futures contracts. The people who had the futures contracts couldn't sell them. They realized probably a, like there weren't enough bulbs to go around even for all the futures contracts. There was a lot of fraud going on because they didn't have a, a, like a paint, ledger. <laughs> paint a tulip for me. Paint the tulip. You, you better paint it good. So the whole market crashed. Apparently the... Face, they face-tuned the tulip for the... It, it came to the... The government adjudicated and they were like, none of this is actually within the act, the like legit financial markets. It's all like trading on like beyond like what the government cares about. Um, but they passed some... They were like, we we advise you to settle contracts for 10% of their value. Mm-hmm. And some most people did... But when the actual futures contract came due, it was like mid-March, and the price of the bulb was worth nothing. So nobody who had the futures contract, like that whole chain of like potential buyers evaporated because the person who was going to buy from you at 100000 is like, no. And you who said you would buy from me for 50000 are also like, no. Because I don't have that money, that like pyramid money. Yeah, nobody has the yeah. pyramid money. But And then the, the tulip comes up and you're like, it is kind of cute. Okay, whatever. That's the thing. In the end, the only person probably who hurt by was this the tulip? Maybe is, the tulips were- is me because I maybe I went out and thought I was going to make a lot of money off my tulip sale and I own the tulip Ooh, in the first there place. There was someone who was hurt, though. He actually was. There was this dude who like accidentally ate one and... I go ahead, tell the story, and then I'll tell you why yeah. it didn't happen. Oh, he accidentally ate one, and he was like arrested, and they were because he thought it was a potato, and they were like they made fun of him. They were like, "How dare you?" This is in McKay's book because it generated amusing, if unlikely, anecdotes. The sailor who mistook a valuable tulip bulb of a merchant for an onion 
and grabs it to eat. According to McKay, the merchant and his family hunted down the sailor to find him eating a breakfast whose cost might have regaled a whole ship's crew for a 12-month. The sailor was supposedly jailed for eating the bulb. However, to burst your bubble, your tulip bubble, tulips are poisonous if prepared incorrectly. They taste bad, and they're considered to be only marginally edible, even during famines. Yeah, but I mean, they're what? What else are they eating at that time? This directly contradicts McKay's claim that the tulip bulb had been quite delicious. Sounds like he was the one eating the tulips. Also, at this time in the seventeen around like the seventeen hundreds, right? Roses have been popping. The Chinese have been breeding roses for centuries. Like they were like, we're already on it. We've we've been obsessed. We know. But the first breeder of them in the European world is in Scotland in the seventeen hundreds. And it's also around this time that, like, Chinese roses and European versions get together. I guess they get traded. So there are, okay, so there's, like, the stud, the original Chinese roses that, like, bred with the Europeans are called the studs, the original, like, Chinese studs. So there's the old blush, which is, like, a sort of, like, a dusty pink rose. I like this east meets west. Yeah. Like, okay. It's like fusion, fusion cuisine. It's like the movie Rush Hour. Yep. There's the Slater. Yes. There's the the Slater's Crimson. Actually, that would be Scottish and like Chinese Rush Hour. That would be that would be pretty awesome. So there's the Slater's Crimson, which is like a red. It's like the a red one. And there's the Blush Tea. And do you know why tea roses are like named so? Yes. The Blush. No Blush Tea, but it's like the first of a, the tea rose variety. And they're putting the petals into the tea to like flavor. No, you've never heard of like a tea rose. I assumed that those roses went into making the beverage tea. No, <laughs> so if you were gonna make tea out of roses, you'd use the rose hips, which are like the fruit of the flower. Is it like a low tea rose or high tea? <laughs> it's rough. actually because well, I always thought they were called tea roses because if you've ever seen a tea rose, usually they're in like a little teacup and they're in someone's like Soho penthouse so i was like oh because they're really tiny and like dainty oh. right but that's not why they're called tea roses because yeah, they were another, okay they oh. were shipped with with, the tea. with tea so they smelled like tea so people were like oh my god this like uh design of rose is like tea scented and then the british tea company stopped shipping them you know, because people were growing them and they're like, hmm, the tea roses, they don't, they don't really be smelling <laughs> like tea anymore. It's too late to change the name. I guess that's how so we'll now, be remembered so now by you history. Know. And Napoleon Bonaparte's wife, Josephine, was like, I am obsessed. I want to have every single rose that exists in my collection. And she was like, she did pretty much. She loved them and she was like probably responsible for a lot of new breeds and stuff like that. Well, because she had all she had program. all two hundred varieties that existed at the time in her. She greenhouse. collected all the Pokemon, mm-hmm. and, and they were probably them. they were probably breeding themselves. They were like, "We love this. We we've <laughs> never met. Oh, hello, I've never met you." There was also the orchid mania that was happening in England around this time as well. There were a lot this of. This is during like French Revolution. Yeah. Era, well, I guess. I guess it's maybe slight, slightly later. I guess we'll get us up to that. There were. I mean, it is comparable to tulip mania, but there were just other kinds of manias, res- basically just like speculative asset bubbles based mm-hmm. on flowers. And flowers are especially great for futures contracts because they only bloom once a year. So you can all sorts of craziness can happen 
before you actually have to deliver the flower. And I think that's why why flowers unique in history are like prone to like speculative behavior. I will tell you a few cool things about orchids. They are symmetrical. Like most flowers are just not symmetrical. They're sort right. of rotational. But orchids symmetrical. are like genetically symmetrical too. Like they're like it's almost like they're a twin but folded. They're a piece of paper with paint folded in half. You know what I mean? Like like their DNA is like the same on on each like side of the plant. Does that make sense? No. Why would the DNA be different on either side of the plant? I yeah. was looking up for other examples of math in flowers. You know ne- you've never <laughs> read about the Fibonacci time. sequence in sunflowers? We know about that. Yeah. No, most people most listeners probably don't. The Fibonacci sequence is two, three, five, eight. Yeah. 13. It's the the, the last two numbers. Every like number is the sum together. of the previous yeah. two numbers. And as much as you think that would just be like a cool little mathematical factoid, it shows up in nature all over the place. You're going you're gonna to want to edit this out later. I won't. It's the spirals of a sunflower. Uh, so the if you count the seeds in the like spiral of a sunflower, they go by those numbers. Yeah, 2, 3, 5, 8, 13, 21, 34, 55, 89. And there's two series of curves that wind in opposite directions. Okay. Yeah. But the orchid. It's wild. It's wild that that plant is governed by math. Also, they're epiphytes, which means that they don't grow in soil. They attach themselves. They're like air plants. They attach themselves to, like, the bark of trees. Some of them grow sideways. So some of them grow just straight up and down, and then some of them grow sideways, and that's why you need the stick to, like, prop them up. Yeah, so by air plants, you mean they have they have a way to basically pull the nutrients they need from water, not just from, like, their roots being in the soil. Exactly. Actually, you should, if when you, this is a little tip, an orchid growing tip. If you have, if you get them, uh, they might be in soil, but take that, take that out and, put, and replace it with, like, wood chips. Mm. Here they actually need a moss to get nutrients. They have a symbiotic relationship with this certain moss. They actually cannot get their nutrients without the moss. So orchids really shouldn't like be alive or like be everywhere, but it really is because of humans that they are. So let me get to the Victorians, and that's when like flowers really blossom. Okay. <laughs> because Victorians were like weird. Like a flower, they're prude on the outside. They were really sexy and dirty on the inside. It was like all the society etiquette was like, don't talk about sex, don't whatever. But they were like, but that's all I want to do. So, so Victorians were just talking 1800s. As we said in many other episodes, uh, created or were foundational in what is like modern literature and science and culture. Yeah, so they invented the language of flowers, which... They embraced their passions, those Victorians, while being very proper. Right, so you could give... Instead of just being like, I want you to rail me on the balcony, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to, you know, get a bouquet of, like, chrysanthemums. (laughs) A specific bouquet And then I'm going to tie a ribbon. It was also, like, the way the ribbon was tied, like, the direction the ribbon was tied... It was like hanky code. As you said, it's like the hanky code. If it's yes. in your like left pocket or right pocket and what color it is. They uh, The Victorian, and I'll, I'll give you some. Are ex- you a sucker or a sucky? Ex- a sucky. A, <laughs> a pitzer or a bitsy. 
you have a daffodil in the back pocket. So I'll give you some examples of the Victorian language of flowers. They, but I will also say that they invented the first form of poppers, which were called nosegays, which is N-O-S-E-G-A-Y-S. Yeah. Which was just like a little bouquet you would take with you to the club. Would and you, you would put smell it, it in your pocket or you you'd it, have you it like, vial. like low down a little vial? And a little just vial. Be like, Yo, you'd be like, come here, come here. You want a hit of this? And they're like, oh man, that's, that's fucking great. Yeah. You're like, woo, now I'm ready to go. Okay, so I have this book. What called- were in the- Sorry, can I, did you get more info on the nose gaze? Like what would they put in them? Because they were also doing cocaine at this time, right? They had drugs. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Or opium. Maybe that's what it was. But, like, they definitely had uh, drugs. They did. I don't know if they were abusing cocaine yet or they hadn't figured that out or it was just used as a. Didn't get it figured out until, like, the early 1900s that it was bad for you. (laughs) Until we saw it, until the next. Yes. Okay. So, why don't you tell me three flowers and I'll tell you what that means in a bouquet? Oh, that's a great one. Okay, lilies. If I get a big, big fat lily, okay, with a big stamen, a rock hard stamen. Okay, so lilies mean purity. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, give me another one. I guess they're often white, right? Most lilies are white. Yes. Put them in a, okay. Um, if I get a bouquet with, what's a, I don't know, boring flower, carnations. They're basically mother's eternal love or heartache. But a green carnation was kind of like I'm gay. <laughs> The green carnation is I'm gay. Yeah, it was kind of like yeah. a man-to-man thing. Oscar Wilde, they're like the flower of Oscar Wilde. And there's a day in Ireland called Bloomsday. Yeah. Which is Oscar Wilde's day, but the green carnation is like the mascot-like flower of that day. And Oscar Wilde liked them because they were unnatural and like they they went against nature and they were queer. Bloomsday is an Oscar Wilde. Uh, Bloomsday is the other famous Scottish writer because Bloom was the famous character in Ulysses. Before it is when you do a big pub crawl and get very drunk, like all the characters in Ulysses were throughout the like day that's written up in Ulysses. Um, oh, James Joyce. Yeah, it's Joyce. Ulysses. Yeah, because Bloom. Okay. Burr. It's not Bloomberg, but his Leopold Bloom is his main character. Okay. Um, how about magnolias? I don't know why you'd put a magnolia in a bouquet, but sure. You could. I mean, you could put anything in a bouquet. It means dignity. So you got lilies and magnolias. That means you're like a nun. <laughs> yeah, steel magnolias. Okay. And then there's also a list of like bouquet, sample bouquets in here. So it has this, this sample like flowers that mean certain things. By the way, you know that like a typical boutonniere that you wear for like a high school prom or whatever is like usually a carnation. Just because it has such a big like blossom with lots of petals on it, but it's like compact. But it it's a like, mother's. It's a mother's eternal. It's so love. funny. It means a mother's eternal love because you're like she's remind. She's like don't. She's like no hands. Ma- yeah, leave some room for the Holy Ghost. Yep. <laughs> While you're dancing. Oh, the a roses bouquet. associated with the Catholic tradition is another thing where they stole it from the Druids because I think ro- roses were like originally Freya's vibe. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they're like, no, 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 Virgin Mary, thorns, uh, you know? Yeah, all I knew is that if, like, roses, there's, like, white symbolizes friendship, and pink is, like, a crush. 
and red is like love. Okay, so here's a bouquet for courting. Blush roses for a blossoming romance. Cornflower for hope in love. Sweet William for gallantry. And honeysuckle for devoted affection. That's red, white, and blue, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, right, red roses, like, uh, yeah, cornflowers are like a beautiful, like, light blue color. Oh, yeah. I was going to, so here's an ivy. I know it's like not a flower, but ivy is like fidelity because it, the ivy, like, just attaches <laughs> and fucking never dies. It's just like, and it crawls. Ivy's a survivor. Yeah. <laughs> and it will suck the life out It'll of another It will suck the life out of concrete. Once it attaches to a tree, the, will the take old down ball an and oak. chain. Yeah. So you can put that in your wedding bouquet. Lily of the Valley to show that better days are ahead. Cypress for mourning. Marigold for grief. Oh, marigold. Mint for consolation. Yeah. Well, I'm not doing the things that aren't like flowers. That's I'm trying. I know Ivy wasn't, but I was trying to. Well, I'm just trying to envision the bouquet, you know. I like this one. This is a one for regret and sorrow. And you have to fasten them with a thin black bow. So. This is like a funeral bouquet. To comfort, console, to remind someone that they are loved. It's a snowdrop for consolation. Azalea for fragility. Oh, azalea means fragility. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, because right, azalea, azalea banks, banks. <laughs> not not fragile at all. Or maybe super fragile underneath the surface. Yeah. Those are the two, like... I do like that there's an apology bouquet. Apology. The grapple bouquet, right? The, yeah. This yeah. one seems really pretty. Although, can I... Hyacinths, they really do not last long, like, as a cut. They always, like, droop and stuff yeah, like that. neither does my offer for apology. So please accept. <laughs> and they have one for forgotten obligations? <laughs> belated birthday. Happy belated birthday. I like... There's two bouquets. <laughs> there's a forget-me-not to indicate... You won't forget again. <laughs> forget me not is a great name for a flower, by the way. That is a, a classic, like flower named after what it's used for. Here's one for warning. There's some for warnings that troubles on the horizon. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like so Victorian. It's fantastic because like you would give someone a bouquet that says like be careful. And are you are you like do you look at them and you're like I'm watching you? Well, no, you like, tie I'm, it. You look at them like I'm the trouble. It depends how you tie, you tie the knot. tie it with a bright the... red band, and they know what's up. They know. But are you warning them about like some trouble on the horizon, like like something they're doing, or are you warning them that like you're about to like be a it's, problem? This is a bouquet of warning someone you distrust or indicating that it's for either one. So if you don't trust them, it probably depends which like, direction you tie the knot. It's on what the... Jesus <laughs> gave to Judas, basically. Yeah, like warning. He's like, you will betray me. He, yeah, Judas was like, cool, betray me. Or like, who's going to betray you? And, and Jesus is like, mm -hmm. he just hands him the, the bouquet. There's uh, some of the highlights are oleander is caution. Box glove is secrecy because you've got the gloves on. Lavender for just, ooh, lavender is distrust. You, you, I know this about you. You do not like the scent of lavender. Petunias. For I love that you bring somebody flowers and you're like, no, I'm breaking up with you. There's thistles in this bouquet. Yeah. Petunias. And wormwood for bitterness. Worm not wormwood. Nothing's more suspicious than wormwood. It's from like, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. It's yeah. like you can distill this to make absinthe. 
you yeah you, you oh kinda... petunias are petulant for anger and resentment i feel like because you have to it sound you sound angry you're like petunia <laughs> it's like the dark bouquets i don't know of anywhere in america that has this kind of floral culture but i do wish that like we could all afford to have this many flowers going back and forth all the time right because it must have been so crazy just and you must have had like a servant where you're like tell them <laughs> and you just hand them <laughs> Well, you like you're growing them in your garden, right? <laughs> it's like it's oh, like yeah. cultivating like a good like meat like collection of memes to send to people as like appropriate <laughs> reactions and stuff. That's what it was it's in your Victorian emojis. era. You're like, yo, I yeah. upgraded. Yeah, I upgraded yeah. my emoji. When you emoji get like pack. a really good meme for like the squad in the like WhatsApp chat, and you're like, drop it in, and you're like, everyone's like, oh my you're god. You're like, wait, exactly. just like, wait for it. It's exactly how we reaction. feel. Yeah, so you're just like growing the perfect flowers to put together the right bouquet. People exactly, are like to deliver. They're like Gertrude is such a bitch. Her garden's full of thistle. Mm. <laughs> What's I was gonna tell you what your favorite flower my favorite flower is orchids oh yeah i, I, like them I think too. they're i i do think they are the prettiest sort of most stately flowers uh i think they're very gorgeous oh it also yeah this has what you can pair them with so orchid you just give it a little spray you pull a little baby's breath around that and let the orchid do its thing if you leave them under your pillow oh oops oh honeysuckle paired with orchid i could see yeah. that because honeysuckle also is like a it's not trying to steal the show. It's it's supporting the orchid. <laughs> and have and you have you seen the famous Nicolas Cage film adaptation? Yes. So <laughs> which is all about the very about, rare orchid in the swamps. They talk about the Darwin. There was like some crazy orchid, and Darwin was like, "What? There must be some creature with like a really long proboscis to pollinate this. It's the only way." People were like, "You crazy? You crazy for this one, Darwin?" And then, like, like hundreds of years later, they were like, oh, he was right. This bird shows up and it's like, <laughs> it's like hang on. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the orchid I'm, pollinator. My name is Pinocchio. <laughs> okay. it's, like, it's like I have some allergies right now. Um, so, yeah, orchids, um, they're an exotic luxury. And you can pair with Carmela for a friend that you miss or Magnolia for someone you admire. I just say give them the orchid. Be like, here you go. So I'm going to give some tips for, like, cut cut flowers yeah since everybody who hears this episode is probably going to rush out to their nearest florist to buy a beautiful bouquet don't get a dozen roses get yourself a good mixed bouquet that's the way to go you get yourself a good seasonal mixed bouquet you can find some very cool ones at your local florist let them do their thing oh yeah go to your local florist because they have some cool stuff like and it's worth it and those those um they've the blossoms have been like conditioned most flowers come from colombia and ecuador i believe not europe anymore well they can come from the dutch flower market which is like its whole thing but usually they go they're grown in colombia and ecuador and then they're Mm -hmm. like passed through Deutschland and then they like ship it out to Miami or something like a lot of them go to Miami that, actually that trade route doesn't make any sense Well, because Miami <laughs> there's like a big the industry twice. there because in California they grow their own they don't need because there are still there's famous internet photographs of like the Dutch like tulip fields or whatever that are like just bands because they now grow them as like a crop giant bands of color covering the whole landscape and it's like amazing so a lot of the roses, though, do not come from there. They come from Colombia. So to condition the blooms, you have to, like, freeze them because that tells them to, like, stop everything. 
and then they won't like wilt or anything. So they're frozen, they're transported, but then in customs, they have to wake them up (laughs) real quick just to like inspect. And they put them in this like all white room. And if any like they because then they can see like fungus or like pests and stuff like that. (laughs) There's this guy who was like dead. He's like he's like the distributor has three options. They can I don't know. They can like try again or something. They can um, pick out the ones with the bugs and he's like, or destruction. <laughs> they just feel like, oh no, all of them are contaminated. We have to get, we have to get rid of this like batch. Yeah, they. It's like unattended baggage will be destroyed. There are <laughs> flower farmers. Like for as many videos as there are about like the foreign flower industries, there's videos of like how my hobby turned into my job, which is like people with their own flower farms. Yeah, Valentine's Day is like an insane amount of roses coming in up in here. Yeah, it's a very uh, holiday-driven season. Right. Yeah, if you thought, like, Amazon had to deal with, like, seasonal business because of, like, Christmas, imagine it's basically just all Mother's Day and Valentine's Day. But then you have weddings, which can happen. Summer. No, they can happen anytime, though. They can all happen in the summer. They can, no, they can, your friend got married on New Year's, come on. They can fall weddings. You never you never heard of a fall wedding. I wouldn't go. It's in poor taste. And apparently like it's you I've listened to like a lot of uh podcasts about wedding flower arrangements and stuff just cuz I wanted to to get tips for to give to people about like the best what you should and shouldn't like do for your floral arrangements. So all of them agree that like you should hire a florist to do it for you. Um if you're having like a really big wedding, don't attempt it yourself. Yeah, but didn't your mom do it for your sister's? My wedding? mom is a licensed. Okay, so she's licensed floral Yeah, so you got to do so that. So she did the flowers at both of my sister's weddings. Okay, and so, crushed it. I mean, she was working large commercial gigs at a Unitarian church in Portland. Yeah, so, so she knows. She's no. She's no rookie. So uh, some some tips that they that these like wedding florists use or they do is they incorporate some fake flowers within the living ones because sometimes a bloom will like go down and it's not as <laughs> obvious you know if it's so because uh, a lot of people like hydrangeas and those are like very droopy droopy boys even if they've been conditioned so conditioning like i said you freeze them and you try and keep them cold until like the last moment then when you like decide to wake them up you should entirely submerge them in water just like an air plant or something because they're going to get like water in like everywhere and you want to keep air from getting into the stem because what happens is the flower will seal up the stem because air is coming in and it's like oh not good but when it does that it will also seal the stem off from water so you just want to keep them in like a water uh, environment always uh, out of the air out of the stem like the stem out of the air and then you also want to cut the, especially for like droopy things like hydrangeas and poppies, you want to cut the stem also vertically, so like make a cross in it, so it can get more water in. But like you're, they're submerged, you cut it and then you yeah. put it right in. Everyone knows you cut your flowers at a sharp angle because you increase the surface area of the stem that's exposed to like the right. water, or if you introduce plant food to it. Yes, so they don't need plant food. Do you know that it's not really plant food? It's actually something to keep bacteria is probably citric acid or a bleach 
that keeps bacteria out of the water. That's really what you're putting in it. It's not it's not really plant food. I thought there was like a little nitrogen or something in there to like um, keep already, the plant cells alive a little a little I'm bit longer. Like maybe give them a little bit of sugar or nutrients or something. Possibly. It's it's really it's just really antifungal stuff. Yeah. It's antifungal because it's isn't that nicer than you know, oh, it's plant food than being like it's so your plants don't get fungus. Right. And then you can also wax their there's this stuff called crowning glory that you can spray them with and it waxes like the surface of the, f- the leaves and everything like that so that the water can't escape. And that will apparently keep your flowers lasting forever. So it is worth noting, I guess, I don't know that there's not really a debate about this, but it's interesting that when you like cut a flower, right, you're cutting at the stem and then you're shipping them or whatever else and you've got the long stem, but flowers and flowering plants, angiosperms, grow from the bud up, right? That's the part that's growing. So, like, what you've taken is, like, you've cut off the flower from its, like, mouth or, like, feeding system, which is horrifying. <laughs> um, but the, I guess the growing or living part of it is in the bud. It's in the flower, generally. And you've taken its sex organ, which is the flower, too, <laughs> is what you're shipping around and, like, putting in a vase. Yeah, when you think of it in the actual terms of what you're doing, it's, pretty wild and it symbolizes things like sorrow or warning uh but also it's interesting that that's all just angiosperms because grasses grow from the root up like your hair Mm -hmm. grasses the living part is in the root itself which is why they're grazing animals can eat the grass and it keeps growing and it's so hardy versus the plant but it's really I guess, arguable, what you've taken maybe with the flower, when people are like, oh, flowers are all dead. They're just like dead flowers. Like, I prefer fake plants or whatever. And you're like, no, this is the living, growing the part living of part. the yeah. plant. I just cut off the, you know, system that feeds it <laughs> nutrients. Well, also, you're kind of, I mean, if you do let the, the like, sexual materials spread around, you're helping to plant new plants they can still pollinate even though you've right. cut them off of from course, they definitely system. can because when they start to like i was saying those those pink and white lilies like when they start to droop the the pollen is like up and you're you're like oh it's everywhere like you're like why is all my stuff orange like oh. cacti bloom and then they die pretty much like when a I cactus w- blooms it's like it's like here's my vagina <laughs> i wanted to end this episode with talking to you as the owner an experienced owner of succulents and air plants Mm -hmm. because they flower differently or under adverse conditions almost compared to all the angiosperms we've talked about. They're like, it's spring. I'm out here. I'm like, I'm ready to to do it. Let's get soaking wet. But the, the succulents and the air plants. Cactus. It's like a Sarah McLaughlin is playing in the background and they're, they're unfurling like a white robe. Like I'm dying. I'm dying. It's the last chance to propagate my species. Come closer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what like why is that? What is the stat there? Well, because cacti grow they grow so slow, they barely have any roots, they barely need anything. Like So succulents flower when they're stressed. Yes. When they think they're gonna die. Yep. And then air plants do die. <laughs> air plants are like Air plants flower when they die. They're like they send out the new beginnings bouquet and <laughs> and the gravel bouquet at the same yeah. time. Yeah. What are the buds from the air plants called? Well, uh they're called flowers but the air no no no. The, uh, i know what you're talking about so the airplane will flower and then on its body it will have a pup 
it will have a little copy of itself that's like a little baby and then the the flower will go you know it'll happen and then it will die and then the mother will die and then all that's left is the little baby the little baby orphan yeah yeah it's it's a wonder those things are still around <laughs> right they but that's the thing they they don't need they can fly around and like they are like Tra- you know they can transport they're themselves. just out there in the american southwest in the desert and they're like yeah. i'm the only thing alive for miles they're so like the, the wind in my, my hair they're I'm like take Wee! my time yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty dope um and then uh christmas well we i got a christmas cactus at Dwayne reed <laughs> or rite aid or something because my basil had just died which i did not know that basil is that's what they do. I didn't know it's an annual and it just dies. So I thought I killed it. And I was like, oh, no. And the basil was like, no, I was on my way out. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, I'm you only didn't take care of me, but also I am dying. It's <laughs> like I so I ate it. So I was like, it was it was I kept it till like the fall winter time. So I was at CVS and they had a Christmas cactus and I was like, I'm getting it. And it was in bloom and then the blooms went away and now it's like fairly large and then it just wasn't blooming. But then one day it started to like, what did it? It showed. Well, what you realized is that it wasn't blooming because it was happy. Yeah. It was like doing really well and it was like, I'm nowhere close to dying. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to pursue my hopes and dreams and become an actress in New York City. Yes. And then you were like... Then it got cold, though. So it was past Christmas, and I was like, why the, f- why aren't you blooming? And you started closing the curtains on it. Yep. So it got less light. And then it started putting out one of those things you were talking about. Yeah, it was these. like, oh, my biological clock is ticking. What it's time to settle down. Have some before the petals, the under the undercarriage. Oh, the little protecting bud. Yeah, that happened, and I was like, oh, okay, so I'm going to make you colder and darker. And then it like it's called the calyx. The calyx. Remember. The calyx. The pit crew. Oh, pit crew. Yeah. It started. There was a calyx, the, and I was the like, green calyx Ooh. holding the bud. I was like, I'm gonna stress you out. So then I, I put it in the hallway where it's dark, and I didn't. Oh, you should water them. Like, make sure the soil doesn't get dry because they do need sun. They can't take so much abuse. For your succulents. When you want them to flower, when you want them, you, you can deprive them of light and make them a little cold, but like yes. give them a little water. <laughs> you can also, oh, you can lower their temperature and put them in a fridge. Don't, if, you unless you're experienced, very, you have to be very careful don't with, play that with it because you're playing. They're on the, they're on, they're the, on the edge. They're on the edge. <laughs> you, something that also really helped is putting coffee grounds in the soil because I, I was in my brain, I was like, they want nitrogen they want that for their flower. I just like, and I was like, coffee is nitrogen. By the so. way, routinely, if you are growing house plants and you feel that they're not thriving, the problem often is that the soil is getting depleted of nitrogen because yep. the plant is using that or phosphorus, like other trace minerals that plants need. And if you just repot it, which is take the plant out, get all new soil from Home Depot or whatever, and then like replant it, It'll, it will yeah, do really it's well. It's like, oh, it's like, oh, thank you. It's actually quite hard to use there's lots of plant food sold or whatever, the little droplets or whatever, that it has like a ton of nitrogen phosphorus and that stuff routinely will kill your plant because it's too, too concentrated much. and it's too much. And the so, plant, yeah, it'd be like somebody's I, like, I'm hungry. And you're like, I'm going to inject you with like 10,000 calories right yeah. now. It's not going to work. But just give the plant food that it can eat. So yeah. I actually sprayed some, there's an air plant like fertilizer and I... 
sprayed some on the airplant and like one of the little end of the stems like immediately turned brown <laughs> and I was like okay you need this diluted yeah that artificial stuff is not surprisingly like when you think it about it it's like glass, really it came like it was from like a company that yeah, was like airplant. it all looks legit and real but it's like not good it's like a crash diet or something to lose weight and you're like what your plant needs is healthy habits okay. like it's <laughs> so flowers <laughs> Yeah, if you want a flower in your bouquet and you think it's like pretty and cute, then just like do it and don't care what it means. What it, you know. And also there's no black flowers. That's another thing that I learned. That scientists are furiously trying to like invent a black flower but they can't. The black, I, w- I told you I was like what about the black dahlia? Black dahlia <laughs> is based on a fictional book where there is th- there's like a mystery in it and it's like someone who was obsessed driven mad by black you can you can tint a flower by changing adding food coloring to the water yes you can Um, there's also you know i've gotten you like pretty vivid neon colored yeah uh those weren't even roses were they i think carnations they might have been carnations Carnations yeah Yeah. um yeah like the rain the unicorn it was like the unicorn the unicorn it was a rose i think it was the unicorn rose Mm -hmm. you can do that they also very very dark purple ones but black, no. Black, not. Not yet. I think it would just defeat the purpose of a flower in that it's a reproductive organ that's trying to attract insects and, like, animals to come, like, spread pollen around. If it's black, it defeats the purpose. I mean, what about, like, a vampire bat? <laughs> <laughs> this bat will be attracted. Some, a goth bat. To the thing. I think the bats mostly go for a fruit. They're going for, like, fruiting flowers. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they. I'm sure they dip into a flower mm-hmm. when no one's looking. They're like, them out there. okay, I think that sounds. <laughs> that's great. That so if you had f- as much fun as we did, <laughs> um, you can send us a bouquet, or you can leave us five stars, which is the bouquet of liking our podcast. Yeah, when do people start bringing roses to Broadway previews or oh, throwing Broadway them shows, on stage? Throwing them on stage. That's also part of the language of flowers, right? They're like, but if you throw the, if it's on a Tuesday industry night, it <laughs> means good job. But a tomato is really just a rose later in life. <laughs> yeah, you are. Th- you're throwing a fruiting plant. You're like, it's ripe. It's overdue. Just like you. Know.